morning, everybody. Good morning. All right. Yeah, let's get a clap going for the Word of God. Hey. All right. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. All right. All right. Um, hey, if you're new, fill out the Connect card on your seat. We'd love to connect with you uh, to help you in your journey in life, wherever that may be. Even if you're still seeking out Christianity and unsure of these things, uh, we would love to just help you in any way we can. Uh, if you can fill that out and turn it in in the lobby, um, we would love to give you a gift and help, help connect with you. Uh, yeah, last night I drove out to our young adults retreat, and so our young adults are gathering, many of them. There's about 50 of them at a retreat right now, and uh, they're really um, getting the word and just getting an amazing experience with God. I was really encouraged. So I just want you to be mindful of that and uh, praying for them when you think about it. You know, the Lord really, uh, in retreat environments, uh, has a significant opportunity to mark people's lives in a way that changes them forever. And so uh, I was there last night at the service. I drove up. It's about two and a half hours from here, about 2.15 from my house. So I drove up there. You know, I used to be a young adult pastor, so this is my thing. I would always go to stuff like this, you know. Uh, now I have, like, six kids and all this stuff, right? So I'm, I'm a full adult, okay? The word young doesn't attach, attach to my name anymore. Uh, but I, I drove up. I went to the service. I stayed. And, you know, I was trying to enjoy the moment. And then I got in the car at, like, 11-something. And I was like, man. Uh, so I went to Sheets, and I barely made it back, okay? So I got in at, like, 1 o'clock last night. And I was like, no, nah, I'm too old for this. I'm too old. Uh, but they're enjoying it. Uh, it was worth it. It was, it was worth staying up late for it. The Lord really did something significant last night, and I'm excited for them. So just be praying uh, for what God is doing there in their lives and that the Lord would use it to advance his work even locally now. I um, also want to let you know our three-year anniversary celebration is on September 18th, which is crazy to even talk about the fact that it's almost been three years. Uh, so we're excited about that. I want uh, There's a few things we're going to talk about in light of that. But the first thing is that we're going to do some baptisms. So if you're here and you've yet to be baptized or uh, you, just know, you just became a Christian and you don't even know what baptism is or whatever it would be, uh, we'd love to help you in that process take that step of faith if you haven't done that before or if you're just learning about it now. So you can email me at nate.wearecelight.org. Uh, let us know and we'd love to help you do that on the 18th so we can celebrate what God is doing in your life. Uh, so today we continue our sermon series called Stretch. How to Move Into Your Calling by Moving Out of Your Comfort Zone. Uh, remember, we've been talking about this as the illustration that the more that you stretch this out, the more is revealed. But if you don't stretch, then the more, nothing more gets revealed. And the same is true for us, a simple principle in life, that the more we allow the Lord to stretch us and to pull us, often through difficult circumstances or steps of faith or risk we're willing to take, are walking away from certain sins, all those different things, we let the Lord stretch us, then who we are intended to be gets revealed. It is in the stretching that who we are really meant to be comes to life. It is in the difficulty and in the step of faith. And so we want to step into these seasons of being stretched to let the Lord continue to make us more of what he intended for us to be. So the last two weeks, we've kind of talked about the conviction and repentance that needs to take place. What does it really look like to follow Jesus? How serious is this thing, really? Uh, what areas in our life have we been unwilling to let the Lord stretch us in disobedience? And then these next two weeks, we're going to dream about the possibilities. So we want to do both those things. I think there's areas in our life the Lord's calling out and saying, you need to be obedient in this area. You're not allowing me to stretch you. And it's negating your purpose. And so you need to stay of obedience through conviction and repentance. There's also some areas in our life where we need to dream about all the things that God could do. Remember the question we've asked is, what could be on the other side of obedience? What supernatural kingdom experiences, awesome things could happen, but it just is, it's just waiting for someone to take a step of obedience? So as opposed to being afraid of taking steps of obedience, as opposed to being afraid of faith, afraid of risk-taking, we actually get excited about the potential possibilities that await us if we simply take a step of obedience. So those are the kind of things we've been, we've been talking about and after. So I hope today and next week that the Lord really stirs something in your heart, in your life, to encourage you to take a step of faith, to, to follow some passion he's given you about helping somebody, reaching a certain area, doing certain things for him. I also want to invite many of you, before we jump into the word this morning, uh, maybe you're here and you're like, man, I'm just not even, uh, I'm not even a Christian yet. I'm still trying to understand all these things. I still don't understand uh, kind of what y'all are doing or why you do this, still seeking these things out. All I want to present to you today is obviously the truth of the gospel. I hope the Lord uh, reveals himself to you in that way. But I want to I present to you the reality 
that there's a ceiling on your life until you commit to following Jesus because you can never be who you were intended to be until you follow him who made you. So the reason why you might be so frustrated, disappointed, the reason why it's just not quite it. You know, like no matter how hard you try, no matter how successful you become, no matter how, no matter even how hard you try to help people or serve, it's just not it. It's just not quite doing it the way that you thought it would. It's not providing the things that you thought it would provide. It's not fulfilling the things you thought it would fulfill. Uh, the reason for that is you were not intended or made uh, to be the best version of yourself or to be a good person in the earth or, or to do, make money or any of these things. You were intended and made to follow and know God. And so you are negating your own self and your own maximization of who you are intended to be when you choose to reject the gospel. And so I just want to present to you a way of thinking about it that not only is the gospel true, and the Lord wants to love you and save you from your sin through belief in Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. On the other side of that is a whole world of the kingdom of God in which you were intended to live. And as you become a person who lives in the kingdom, you actually begin to maximize the very reason why you're here. And then you can walk in purpose. You can walk in fulfillment. You can walk with uh, confidence in who God has made you to be. And you actually become more of yourself than you ever thought you would otherwise, all right? And so the whole world is telling you to find yourself, okay, which is fine. They're just doing it the wrong way, all right? You can't find yourself by looking in yourself. It doesn't work. Everybody's trying it. It doesn't work, okay? The more we talk about it, the more anxious and depressed every generation gets, okay? Find yourself. You know, I don't know how to do that. Of course you don't. The more you find yourself in God, then you actually become who you were intended to be, all right? And so this is what I'm presenting to you as you seek to understand Christianity and especially even for my brothers and sisters in Christ to say, to the extent that you're not willing to obey God, you are nullifying yourself and the experience you could have of what God wants to do with your life. So I want to I compel you and motivate you to say, if you would be willing to step into the areas God might be calling you to, you would actually become and maximize your very purpose of existence. And so the Lord wants to invite you into these places and so, so the last two weeks have probably been more oriented around conviction, and these next two weeks more oriented around inspiration about what God could do with your life if you were to take those steps of obedience towards him. So in light of all that, let's open our Bible to Acts chapter 5. All right. We're excited to hear from the Lord this morning. Verse 17 through 32. We'll start in verse 17. It says, but the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out, said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the descendants of the people of Israel, they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned, and they reported a strange thing. They said, we found the prison doors locked and the guards standing there, but when we opened them, no one was inside. The great magic trick. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were obviously greatly perplexed, wondering, what would this come to? And someone came and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple. They're teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Now, when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Here's the sentence. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. This is the gospel. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So we'll stop there. Uh, this charge and this accusation in verse 28 is what the whole sermon is built around this morning. They say, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, with the teaching of Jesus, with the teaching of the gospel, which is the most amazing thing you could ever be accused of in your life. I mean, what a great accusation, 
okay? You have spread this message of the love of God to every place in this city. And this is true of them, and this is what I want and what we hope that would be true of us. May the same charge be brought against City Light and against the people who call themselves Christ followers here that you have filled Falls Church in Annandale and Seven Corners in the DMV with the teaching of Jesus. May that accusation say you have made your way into every block, into every corner, into every nook and cranny, into every people group, into every home. Somehow this group of people has taken the teaching of Jesus and completely filled and smothered the city with the love of God. May that be the charge that's brought against us. And so with that in mind, the message today is simply called Fill the City. I want us to dream about what it would look like to fill the city with the ministry, the love, the teaching, and the work of Jesus Christ. I want us to consider not only the things we are already doing to do that work, which I believe we are already committed to, this is not a new thing, but what does it look like to grow in that? What does it look like to expand in that? What does it look like for every single one of us to participate so that every corner, every block, every neighborhood, every home, every student, every business owner, every person, man, woman, child, the young and the elderly, all have an opportunity to respond to the love of Jesus presented to them. That is the responsibility of a church, is that we would make it our aim that every single person within our demographic, within our city, and then obviously we take the message across the world to the extent we are able, but every single person around us should have the opportunity, because we exist, to respond to the love of Jesus. Every home, every child, every student, every person in every nursing home should have at least one opportunity to experience the love of Jesus, to hear the gospel and the good news, and to respond. This is our obligation. This is our priority. This is the work we will give ourselves to until the Lord calls us home. So we want to fill the city with the teaching of Jesus, and the Lord has given each one of us an opportunity to participate in that work, to work together to make that happen. I I want you to think about it. Uh, when, I was, when I was writing this down, the first picture I got uh, was from this movie called Yesterday. Who's seen the movie Yesterday? All right, anybody in here? No, okay. If you have kids, you probably raise your hand. Everybody else is like, no, nah, I don't watch that. Okay. Uh, all the kid movies show up on my Netflix, all right? So if you open my Netflix, my even grown-up account, you know, it would all just be all these kid things, okay? So this movie called Yesterday where uh, the parents give their kids a yes day. So they have to earn it and do all these things. But on Yesterday, basically the kids can ask for anything within certain rules, and the parents have to say yes. And so they work towards this yes day. They build it up. I don't know why I ever let my kids watch that movie because it gave them all sorts of ideas, you know. And it, it, so I ever say no, you're like, you're the worst parent ever. You know, it's a yes day. You know, they're trying to revolt uh, to have a yes day in the crew house, which uh, maybe if we could figure it out, that would be fun. But if you've ever met my children, that would be a wild ride, okay. So who knows how that would go. Um, but this yes day, so the kids get to do all these fun things. Okay, at the end of the movie, there's this time when this, this one kid has a party in his parents' house without his parents there. And he has this science experiment where all this foam is going to shoot out of the windows and make this big splash. It's going to be awesome. Well, of course, the experiment goes awry. The foam shoots out in a room, but then it begins to seep its way throughout the entire house. And so the picture gets this going down the stairs. It's going under the door. Nothing can get in the way of the foam. It begins to rise. When it gets to the living room, it works its way to the kitchen. And not only is it taking care of the width of the house, it begins to handle the depth of the house by rising up. And slowly but surely, the entire house is getting filled with the foam because something happened in one particular room of the house. And that's the exact idea God wants to give us of what the gospel work looks like is that there would be an explosion of the love of God in the gospel when we gather that would spread its way out into the houses and into the areas and into the neighborhoods around us. That nothing would stop it. We would cover the width and the depth. There would be no width too wide and no depth and no height too high that we cannot engage with and fill with the love of Jesus. And it is for us to consider, we come together, we get filled up, we get reminded, encouraged, convicted, and then we spread back out for the very purpose of taking what we've experienced with God out to other people. And just like the foam worked its way into every room of the house, so the gospel of Jesus Christ exploding in the lives of the people of God should work its way into every block and neighborhood and home in our city. This is what the Lord has intended for us. This is why we are all in this together. It's our core value number six. We mean it so desperately because we cannot accomplish what God wants us to accomplish by ourselves as individuals, but we must be in it together. This is how it works. 
So this is the picture I want you to have in mind for us. This is why we say things like City Light is a launching pad, not a landing place. The goal is not for you to live your life and land here on a Sunday and then have your Jesus experience and go live your life. The goal is for you to come here and get launched out into the world, inspired, convicted, renewed, encouraged, to go do the thing God has called you to do in the place where I am not, in the place where they are not, in the place where he or she is not, in the place where you are, to go do that. And if we each actually participate in that wholeheartedly, the difference we will make as a community will be dramatic. That's how it works. This is why it's so much more than a sermon and why it's so much more than a service and why we can't build everything around a particular activity because the idea is that we're all equally valuable. We all have equal significance and worth. We all have equal uh, a value to bring something to the table to make a difference in the world. And so then if we all own that together and if we come together and then go out together, we're going to actually make the difference we want to see in the world. But as long as we orient our Christianity around a Sunday morning experience or even a preacher or a way of doing things, we're not going to fulfill the mission God has given us until that experience on a Sunday or a Thursday night or whatever works its way through the life of the city around us. That's the whole point. This is part of the mission of lighthouses. This is why our groups that meet during the week meet with a missional purpose. It isn't so that you can just go study the Bible with some other Christians, which is obviously wonderful and important, but it's so that you can do so in a different place. So that you can exist as the kingdom of God in a different block, not here. So that you can represent Jesus in a different place, in a different way, at different restaurants with different people. So that as we meet as lighthouses, we not only encourage one another, but we spread ourselves out, not as individuals, but together collectively so that we have some power in the, in the group. And we represent King Jesus on that road in that area of Annandale and on that road in that area next to the school in West Falls Church. And in that that's why lighthouses are so important. It isn't just so that you can grow, which is obviously very important, but it is also so that we can exist as a group in other places so that the foam of the gospel can work its way through other neighborhoods. This is the intention of a people of God, that we would exist for the good of our city, not that we would exist to simply gather, but we gather for the good of our city. We are a launching pad, not a landing place. Now, I want to give you a, another an inspiring idea from this. So oftentimes when I'm thinking about missions or if I kind of need a rejuvenation in my heart and my life, I'll read these missionary biographies. Uh, they're actually made for sixth graders, okay? They're middle school written biographies, okay? So you can just, whatever you, that makes you think of me, all right? I do have a seminary education, but I read sixth grade books, okay? Uh, and these are wonderful. They're like 150 pages. You can literally read it in like two hours, all right? It's just easy, smooth reading. But you get a quick snippet of the life of some of these missionaries that God has called to do these extraordinary things. Uh, and it takes you kind of out of your everyday monotonous routine that can sometimes be a rut. Uh, for us, and it inspires you once again with what God might want to do uh, in your life uh, through the different things that he puts in front of you. So there's this guy, his name is David Livingston, who was a missionary to Africa. He's from Scotland. He was actually the first missionary to take the gospel to inland Africa, like ever, right? This was a couple hundred years ago. Uh, and so his original idea as a missionary was to go to China, but an opium war broke out in China. It prevented him from going. He meets a guy named Reverend Moffat who tells him about Africa, and the phrase that persuaded him to go to Africa was this. He says, there is the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has ever been. And that picture drove the entire rest of his life. That there was a smoke from a thousand villages that no missionary had ever been. That there were people gathering and living in places all throughout this country where nobody had ever gone to share the gospel. Ever. And this reality of all this smoke billowing up as an example of a people group that need to know the Lord drove his life. And I want this to be true of us because the same can be true. What is our version of the smoke of a thousand villages? You know that there are people within your very spheres of influence who have never once really interacted with the gospel. They might have a general awareness of Jesus, but they have really no idea of what he has actually done and what he calls them to. No idea. Most people around you get their idea of a Christian from watching the news channels, which is not going to work out very well for either Christians or the people trying to understand Jesus, okay? They need a real example of somebody who actually loves Jesus and isn't caught up in all this mess in the world and wants to do the right thing for the Lord. This is, this is the picture that you need to have around you. I want you to think about that for you. What is the smoke of a thousand villages where nobody has ever engaged the gospel with people around you? And to give you some awareness of what might be going on, I remember when I was in North Carolina, which is, you know, 
part of the Bible Belt, okay? Lots of churches in North Carolina. Everybody's a Christian in North Carolina, okay? Everybody knows. So you go to North Carolina, and I was, uh, I was working in, I was going to seminary, and I was working doing landscaping, and we would pick up random people to do landscaping, okay? That's part of how, how the work gets done. Just pick up random people different days, different times. I uh, do days, days worth of labor. So this one guy jumped in the car with us one time, uh, and I was just talking and interacting with him. Eventually, I got around to asking about his faith or Jesus, and, and one of my questions, I, if I remember exactly right, it was like, do you know, you know, you know much about Jesus? Kind of like, what's your understanding of Jesus? And I'll never forget, he said, Jesus who? And I was like, Jesus Christ, you know, like uh, from the Bible, you know, he died on the cross, you've seen that, and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, you, you don't know, like at all? Like, you know, like Jesus, like everybody knows Jesus. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Literally starting from the ground up to say, okay, okay. <laughs> so there's the story of the gospel and God made the world and the world is broken because of sin. And God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins so that we can have new life in him if we believe and trust in his name. It's how you get saved. It's how God forgives your sins. It's how you deal with all the problems that you bring to the table in your life. And this whole thing was brand new for him. And he grew up, and he was probably at least 30 in the Bible Belt. And that's, I give you that picture, and it is probably at least somewhat extreme, to tell you and to remind you that there are people all around you that have possibly no understanding and very likely very little understanding of the gospel message. And the reason why some of us lack urgency is because we assume many people around us have already heard and rejected. And that's why they're not walking with the Lord. As opposed to the fact that they probably actually haven't heard the gospel as it is and maybe possibly would tell, would ask, would say, Jesus who? That phrase, Jesus who, drives me to say there are people that, you know, even within my spheres of influence, even within America, even within this place that feels so saturated with church and those things, that have no or little understanding. So the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has ever been is a very real possible reality within your neighborhood, your workplace, the city you live in. This is the reality of us, that most of the people you should assume around you have never once engaged in a serious, thoughtful engagement with the love of Christ presented in the gospel. Most of the people have never, have never done that in a serious level around you. And so now the Lord is calling us as a group of people to go minister and to share the gospel, not just in word, but in deed, is to live a whole life unto this. So what is your role in this? What does this look like for us? So what I want us to do, okay, so the goal is for us to get accused of the same thing the disciples got accused of. Okay, that's the goal. Say, I want you to accuse us that you've filled the city of the teaching of Jesus. You know, you want you to say, everywhere I go in the city, you want somebody to say, Whenever I see brokenness and need and poverty and homelessness, all these things, I find a city light person there. You know, like everywhere I go. That's what you want eventually to be the reputation. Every time, everywhere I go, when there's a hard place, a dangerous place, a dark place, there's a city light person there. And they're doing something. That's, that's what you want to grow to and get to to say this is the work God has called us to do. So if we want to be accused of the same thing, then we have to do the same things the disciples did. And if we want to do the same things that the disciples did, we have to think the same way the disciples thought. So... To get to that, we're going to walk through a few of these thoughts from the scriptures and the passages that we're in with the goal of helping us think like they thought so that we can do like they did, so that we can be accused of the same thing that they were accused of. So let me give you three different ways of thinking that were present in the life of the disciples that led them to live this kind of way, to fill the city. So the first one comes from verse 29. They say, we must obey God rather than men. And the way of thought is this, for you to write down, no opposition will prevent my obedience. This is the thought process of someone who really wants to reach the city around. To say, no opposition will prevent my obedience. Like, no, it's a preset decision to say, I will obey God rather than men every single time. And no matter what kind of opposition I encounter, whether it be small or big, that is not a factor in my obedience. And so often we let the opposition already kill us in our obedience. To so say, if we've encountered even a little opposition, if the conversation's a little bit awkward, if there's a little bit of trouble when we do that, if we gave a little bit too much money and now we can't, we encounter some opposition when we go into a dangerous place and it might be a little more dangerous than the places we're normally used to. We encounter different people in those places and we feel a little strange. 
that little bit of opposition often, and that makes us uncomfortable, often prevents our obedience. But the reason is, is because we're deciding in the moment whether we're going to do it or not, as opposed to having a preset, pre-made decision that no opposition will prevent my obedience. This is when having decided ahead of time is going to help you a lot, because you and I both know that if we wait for the moment, we will generally take the easiest path out. Your human nature is to take the least path of resistance. So if you wait until the moment where it gets difficult, you will more than likely decide to not do it. Which is why we need preset commitments to God to say, I will live a life in which no opposition will prevent my obedience. This is my mindset. And this is the way the disciples lived, which is why they were able to overcome. But this is the stretching to say, when you're like, okay, I could really reveal God could do a whole lot. But as soon as it starts to hurt a little bit, we stop, you know. And so the opposition keeps us from continuing to stretch. But it is in the continuing to stretch that we reveal more and more and more of who we are. It's when we become more and more of what God intended to be. But you have to encounter, endure, and stay faithful even in the midst of the opposition. As a matter of fact, you should expect it. And so now you need to have this preset mindset that says, no opposition will prevent my obedience. Now, this is important. Uh, you and I both know, as I said, that making decisions, difficult decisions in the moment, without any pre-thought kind of ways of living, principles of life, make it much more difficult. So, this is all the time when I'm like counseling young couples, okay, who, who are Christians, who want to live the way God has prescribed, which is to stay sexually pure, you know, until you get married. And, you know, we'll be giving them advice, and they'll be talking about it. And they'll be, you know, they'll be like, it's really, you know, really difficult when we're at home alone or when I'm watching TV. And, but they'll say things like, you know, when it gets hard and tempting, we'll just stop. And I think that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Has anybody ever been romantic with, who, who just stopped? That just doesn't exist. Don't lie to me. You know, like, if you're just going to put yourself in a position and then say, well, when it gets too hard to be obedient, I'm just going to stop, you already know you've failed. You already know. You, you need to stay away from the moment, right? You need to be ready ahead of time. Because if you wait until the moment to make your decision, you're going to take the least path of resistance. And so you need to be ready. You need to have a preset mindset in terms of what you are willing to do. And the fact that, simply put, I will live a life where no opposition prevents my obedience. I will not stop when I am opposed at any level. I will find a way. I will keep coming forward. I will do it the way God wants me to do it. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, so whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please the Lord. This is a wonderful, I use this all the time, because your life really does whittle down to this one question you can use as a filter for your decisions. Will this please God? If you made every decision with that as the only filter, your life would look dramatically different. If all you considered Will this please God? If the answer is yes, I do it. If that was the way we lived our life, then we would have much more boldness and desire to follow through. Because the reason why we are disobedient sometimes, we simply talk ourselves out of it, right? We, will this please God? Okay, yeah. But will it, you know, trouble me in this way? Oh, yeah. And will it make this awkward or uncomfortable? Yeah. And will it require sacrifice? Yeah. So we just do all this. As opposed to, will it please God? Yes, do it. This is the filter we need to have for our lives. If you lived your entire life and that was the only question you asked, you would live an amazingly godly, wonderfully productive life. So will this please God? So the first thing, no opposition will prevent my obedience. The second thing, the second way of thinking, the principle of life is this. My work is to witness. This is the second thing. Look, he says, so he shares the gospel. You killed him, hanging him on a tree. So Jesus died on a tree, as we learn from the rest of the scriptures, for our sins. God exalts him. He raises him from the dead. He is now the savior of the world to grant forgiveness of sins and repentance. And he says, to this message of the gospel, verse 32, we are witnesses to these things. So now the message of the gospel and the work of Jesus Christ has become central core to the identity of this group of disciples. It is not something they do in addition to their life. It has become central and core to their identity. Fishermen have, as Jesus said, turned into fishers of men. They're, it's not only that they're, they're uh, 
priorities have changed. It is that who they are has changed. Their nature is now connected. Their new identity is now connected to this experience they had with Jesus. You know, it reminds me of that, to the basketball fans, that we are witnesses signed with LeBron James, you know, and all that. And there's this idea that we're witnessing and experiencing something that this person has done that's pretty amazing. And, and now we are all a part of that experience and we're supposed to enjoy that and communicate that experience with others. We are witnesses to what he has done on the court. And he gives us the same and obviously more important picture here that we are now witnesses to who Jesus is and what he has done on the cross for sinners, all of us. And this becomes core to who I am and a part of my identity. While I may do many other things, the essence of my life now is that I'm a child of God. I'm a witness to who he is. This becomes core to my identity. Now, the issue we have with this is I think we treat the work of witnessing, not just in verbal communication, but just as a way of life and showing the love of Jesus. As a, I would think about it more in the generation now as like a side hustle. Witnessing, being a witness, sharing the love verbally, physically, any way, showing the love of Jesus is a, it's a side hustle. My core identity, you know, father, as you say, you'd use my life, father, pastor, whatever. Your core identity, son, daughter, friend, you know, entrepreneur, whatever, okay, cook, teacher, you know, whatever. And you say, these are the core of who I am. And then when opportunity arises or when it's, when it's available or whatever, I will also do this other thing called sharing the gospel or trying to make a difference for Jesus. But that's a side hustle. It's something I do, which I want to commend and say, well, praise God, you even care to do that at all. So that's wonderful. Most people in the world don't care to do that. So it's great that there's even a desire. But I want us to go from witnessing, doing ministry, operating for the kingdom of God. I want us to go from a side hustle to the very essence and core of who we are. We are witnesses. We don't do witnessing. Witnessing isn't something I just do. A witness is something I have become, something I am. So that everything in my life should be oriented towards representing Jesus. So that as a father, I am not primarily first a father. I'm a witness towards who Jesus is in every possible way. Both communicating but also showing love and discipline and all the things you're supposed to do. In your area of work, whatever you are, you are first and primarily a witness. And then you begin to navigate your life that way. As opposed to a witness being uh, an additional thing to your identity, when you come to know the Lord, witness becomes essential, becomes core. So witnessing is not just something you do. A witness is something that you are. And this mindset changes an awful lot about it because some of you who do love the Lord are always feeling convicted you don't share the gospel enough. Which is obviously important and good for you to have some conviction over. But you need a mindset shift to say it's not just that like, I don't do this thing on the side enough and I need, to do, I need to side hustle more. You know, that's the idea. Okay, I'm doing all this stuff and I need to hustle more on the side so I can get more of that other ministry stuff done. As opposed to now within all of my life, I am a witness. This is who I am. It is core to my identity. This is a thought process that enables the disciples to live this way without even necessarily, I think, having to always make cognitive decisions. It has become core to who they are. Right? I, because I am a father, I father. I don't wake up and think, well, I have to father today. How am I going to father today? You know? No. They're just, there's kids there. Somebody's got to take care of them. You know? This is what I do. So the same is true with that. I become a witness. Don't wake up and think, well, where am I? It's just what I, it's who I am. So everywhere I go, it just becomes an opportunity for that in any form, you know, in any way. I can, I can represent people to do this. This is how the Lord wants you to work and to live and, and to do your life. So my work is to witness. That's the second mindset. Remember, it's not just an action. It's a mindset shift. So no opposition will prevent my obedience. It's a way of thinking. My work is to witness. It's a way of thinking. The third one is this. God will join me where he calls me. This is, the, this is the mindset, the way of thinking that enables someone to fill the city with the teaching of Jesus. God will join me where he calls me. He says, verse 32, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. What an amazing phrase. So we are witnesses, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So the Lord has called you to be a witness, but he's called you to do it along with the work of God himself in the Holy Spirit. When we join God in what he has asked us to do, we experience the fullness 
of the power of the Holy Spirit along with us. This is why we talk about being spirit-led all the time. It's because it is certainly following the promptings of the Lord, surrendering to his will. But it's also just understanding the reality that as I walk in obedience, I position myself to experience more of the Spirit's work and power. And if I want to walk and live a supernatural life with everybody here who knows the Lord, this ought to motivate you. I want to live a supernatural life. I want to live full of, the, of God. I want to live walking with him, knowing him. I want his power to be in everything that I do. Well, the, the, the level to which you can experience the fullness of the Spirit's power is always related to the level at which you are obedient to God's command. Okay? Let me give you a quick theology lesson. So when you believe and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. It's a gift that God gives you that cannot be taken away. The Spirit, Ephesians 1 says, seals you. It's the deposit that God gives you to guarantee your inheritance of heaven. Say, I believe and I trust in you. I surrender my whole life to you. And God, God gives you the Holy Spirit as a deposit in your life to seal you, say you are mine, and you have heaven as a guarantee. And this comes about through faith not through works or anything that you do. That cannot be changed. That is what we would call a, your status as a child of God. But that is not the same as your experience of the realities of your status. So you have the Holy Spirit, which cannot be taken away from you, but your experience of the power of the Holy Spirit fluctuates. Your experience of the, of the work, the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to empower your labor fluctuates, and it's based off your commitment and obedience to God's commands. Matthew 28, go and make disciples and I will be with you. So now you have this reality that God will join you where he calls you, which is a wonderful thing if you really mean I love God and want God more than anything, then a way you can experience more of God is to be obedient and to go where God calls you because he promises to join you manifestly in that, okay? He's always with you, but the experience of that can increase and can be stronger and more assured when we walk in the ways God has called us to, which is what I want for you, which is what we all want for each other, that we would experience the manifest presence of power of God, the fullness of the work of the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 5 to be filled with the Spirit to a bunch of Christians, meaning there is more room for the Holy Spirit to take more control of your life and that you would operate in a greater level of experience of the fullness of his power in you. And that should drive you to say, I want to experience more of what it's like to have God living in me. I want to tap into that at a greater level. And what's the way to do that? Well, simply be obedient to God's commands. God will join me where he calls me. You will not do this alone. You will never attempt anything for God's name alone. And so therefore, the disciples were already ready. They had a preset mindset to say, wherever I go, for the sake of the gospel, God goes with me. And that's simply enough for me, even if it takes me into prison. You know, God is there. So those three mindsets, I think, are what we need to cultivate so that we can do this. So no opposition will prevent my obedience. My work is to witness. God will join me where he calls me. Now, that's, that's the sermon. I want to close with this uh, initiative I want to present to you from City Light. Uh, with the desire that we would enable, equip, and help you fulfill the, the call that God is putting on your life. And so I want to release all of the skills and the passions and the giftings and the dreams that God has given each person in the congregation to go do what God has called them to do. So oftentimes somebody will ask me, well, okay, how can I serve? This is a wonderful question. And praise God for any of you who care to ask that question. We love you so much. Thank you for that. Uh, and there's lots of ways to do that. Obviously, none of this just happens, okay? You don't just walk in here and flip your fingers, okay? There's a lot of work that goes into something like this and us gathering together. Uh, there's lots of ways to serve within the church. And I want to be very mindful of the fact that we would love your help and support in all of those ways, from kids to tech to all those things. Those are very important things that we can do together. But the mindset of that question is always, well, how can I serve within the church? That's always, what, what can you give me to do within the church? Which, once again, I'm highly affirming is good. And some of y'all need to ask that question. You ain't been asking it, and the Lord is convicting you right now to say, okay, you need to, you need to ask that question. Go serve somebody, okay? So do that on Sunday mornings. Show up, serve. But I also want to cultivate a reality around that question. When you say, how can I serve? And then somebody like me or a leader in the church will say, 
Well, what dreams and passions and ambitions for the sake of the gospel, what needs and brokenness around you has God placed in your heart? And how can I serve you to go make that happen? To release the work of the gospel as opposed to trying to fit it all within the structure of an organization. This is the mindset that I want us to cultivate within City Light, and this is what I want to do. I want to help you and support you. This, this is what you should not take for granted, that God has placed particular passions, burdens, people groups, areas of brokenness and need in your heart that bother you more than they seem to bother other people around you, that set you ablaze in a fire more than it seems to do so with other people around you. And the reason for that is because God has called you to do that work because we all can't do the same thing. There's a million needs in the world, and if I just say, okay, me and my family, us eight people, we're going to take on every possible area of brokenness there possibly, but we were hearts to burn. It just wouldn't work. It'd be so, it'd be good motives, but it wouldn't, nothing would happen. And so there are particular areas in our life where we feel like the Lord has called us, and we've tried to be obedient to that, and obviously we've made our plenty of mistakes along the way, uh, but that, I think we take that for granted, and what I want you to understand is that God has given you passions, gifts, dreams, burdens for a reason that you would use that to propel you into places that nobody else will go, to people that no one else is thinking about, to help places that no one else is concerned about. And as opposed to thinking, well, why doesn't everybody carry this burden and concern with me? That doesn't matter. The Lord might be giving different ones to different people. We all can't carry all the concerns of everybody in the entire world. So the Lord makes a church and a group of people, and he puts us in different places with different skills, different passions, different burdens, different concerns, different opportunities. And he says, go be the light of the world. And so as opposed to us structuring everything around one simple gathering, that's why we say it's a launching pad, that we would be able to serve in a variety of different ways and that we as a church would come alongside those dreams, those burdens, those ambitions, those areas of brokenness that you'd love to be involved in so that we can help equip you. Ephesians 4 tells us in verse 12 that the work of a pastor, someone like me, or a ministry leader like our staff or people here, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That I do my job best when I help you do the job God has called you to do. That's how this should work. Not when I help you fill a need that we have at church, which is also important. Once again, I'm not negating that. But I want to add this realm of the Lord has put something in your life for a reason. And I want you to be inspired to listen to that and to follow it along with the help of the church to help you discern. So... In light of that, we're starting this thing called the fish tank, all right? Think shark tank, except nicer, okay, and for a better reason, all right? So instead of shark tank, it's called fish tank. This is what it is. It's an initiative to help you become what God first called you to be, a fisher of men. We want to help bring to life the dreams and passions God has put in your heart to reach people for his glory. As we talked about a few weeks ago, remember, it's not a lack of opportunity, but it's a lack of those who will take responsibility. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, those willing to put in the sweat and the work and the effort, those people are few. So as the Lord raises up more laborers for the harvest, we want to come alongside as a church and bless and fuel the work. So this is the desire of what we want to see happen. So like I said, think Shark Tank, except nicer, for a better reason. This is important because if an organization is going to be healthy, it has to live within some form of structure. And if you know anything about me, you can't believe I just said that at all in life, okay? I... My whole life, it just, it's only structured because I have so many kids and different things. So, but I would just, we woke up Friday morning and went to the beach, okay? I just love just living life, okay? Make decisions when you got to make them and just go with the flow, okay? You might as well just ride it out. Just see how it feels. That's my favorite. You know, just see how it feels. We'll just see how it feels. You know, when are we going to leave? I don't know. We'll just see how it feels. You know, I, this is okay. This is how I prefer to live my life. It would drive half of you at least crazy and the other half of you would be like, yeah, let's go, you know, okay? So... That's how, I, that's how I enjoy to live, okay? But that's not healthy for uh, the sake of a bunch of other people. So if I just did that as a parent, my kids would all be dead everywhere. You know, I, I can't do that. I have to have structure. I have to put them to sleep. I have to do all these things, okay? Uh, and so as a church, to be healthy around uh, uh, all of this, with all these different facets, it needs structure and organization. Now, within structure and organization has limits in a good way for good reasons. 
And so if we were to continue to say, okay, let's do more for the city, and we're going to add this program, add this, we're going to make the staff do that and do this, uh, it would get unreasonable. It, it would be stretched to a point where it's not workable. Uh, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work. And so also, if you were trying to fit your idea or the passion or the burden within the structure of the, of the organization or the church, uh, sometimes it won't fit because it doesn't work within our system or within the way that we do things, and it wouldn't make it happen, and that creates a limitation unless, 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 unless you use the structure to fuel things that exist outside of the structure but within the covering of the organization. So that now the Lord can release the work that he has for you without it having to fit in and, uh, and uh, overwhelm the structure and the health of an organization called the church. And so this is very important to not having a ceiling on the work of God, but also not being foolish to just live unhindered, you know, and just try to do everything. And so I think this is a great way for us to live out the launching pad mentality, to have a healthy structure that functions and that's at some level predictable, uh, you put these two things together and you get some level of organized chaos, which I think is the kingdom of God. If you read Acts, it's crazy. They're also starting to get organized. Okay, so there's organized chaos throughout the Bible, all right? So if you're too organized, there's no room for the Holy Spirit to just break your plans. And if you're too chaotic, you know, God's a God of order. So these things got to make sense at some level. So the healthy place is some constant organized chaos. You should always feel a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit comfortable. Say, this makes sense, and that doesn't make any sense. And these come together, right? And so that's what we're supposed to do, right? That's why the Lord's made some of you planners and some of you, like me, feelers, okay? And we come together, we make plans, and we feel things, and we do awesome stuff, okay? So that's how this is going to work. So this is the dream and the vision God has given us now is to create Fish Tank as an initiative to, to release the work of God and to use the healthy structure as a means by which we launch out, cover, support, fund, resource this work, but not as a means by which we do the work in and of itself. All right? And so now the Lord is going to hopefully do that through us. So like I said, think Shark Tank, except nicer. Now, uh, it's also important because you have to think about, okay, if the world can crowdsource and fund things for worldly reasons, why in the world would the church not crowdsource ministry? If the world is compelled to come together and to give to things and to collaborate for the sake of an idea or a product or, a, or anything like that, even to come around a need where, the, where GoFundMe exists, to come around certain needs maybe people might have to help us support why in the world would we as a church, if the world has enough incentive to crowdsource ideas and products, ought we not have more incentive to crowdsource ministry? Ought we not to have more incentive to advance the work of God? Ought we not to have more incentive to come together and to collaborate around what God has put in your heart and not just keep things in the box of the structure? Ought we not to have more incentive to release the passions and the dreams God has put in the hearts of his people when people have incentive to release the passions and dreams they put in their own hearts. Ought we not have more concern than selling a product and making some money? Therefore, we are going to use the means we have to crowdsource and to fund and support. So that's what we're going to do. Practically, you can go on the website and you can fill out a form and send us your idea. You can also go on Instagram on the link tree you can fill out the form and send us your idea. There is an example form of some questions and some answers to give you an idea of what we're talking about. Like I said, if you have a passion for a place, a people group, a need, an area of brokenness, if it's a one-time thing or a continual thing you would like to seek to try, we would like to blow some wind on it, come alongside to help fund, support, resource, train, encourage, and to help you do that for the glory of God. We would love to present some of these ideas on our three-year anniversary on September 18th affirm them as a church and begin the work of the fish tank. So if you can have your form filled out by September 11th, please do that so that we can have those ideas sorted and ready and affirmed by the 18th. Now that is the deadline for the three year, but we are going to keep the fish tank up at least through the end of the year and see how the Lord works and uses it. So if you have ideas later, please feel free to fill that form out. Now I want to encourage you um, to fill out what you can. I'm not, I'm not saying you thought through a whole thing and you got it all filled out. Some of you are going to get on there 
you're going to say, oh, this would be cool to do. And then you're going to be writing it out and be like, this sounds so dumb. And then you're going to think, wow, what are they going to think about me? They're going to think I'm dumb, you know? Okay, that's from the devil, okay? We're not going to think you're dumb. We're going to be so thankful that you cared about anything, that you took time to fill out a form so you could help people, okay? Praise God for that, all right? So just send it in, all right? Be humble. Don't worry about it. Send it in, all right? So just send in your unformed ideas. Send in your thoughts. Send in your, your creativity. Send that in. Uh, I also want to let you know that just because you fill out the form doesn't mean we're going to do it, all right? Uh, and it's not being, uh, you know, it doesn't mean we don't like it. It might be some discernment. It might be it needs to change like this. It might, we're going to help. We're going to come alongside, okay? So we like to come alongside you and uh, to discern as a church how we can live that out, uh, how we can support you to live that out in the best way possible. Uh, so let me close with another quote from David Livingston. He says this. Uh, so remember, he went to the interior of Africa in the, in the mid-1800s. He says, cannot the love of Christ carry the missionary where the slave trade carries the trader? I shall open up a path to the interior or I will perish doing so. And what a convicting and awakening statement for us. He says, is not the love of Jesus sufficient, not more so sufficient to carry me to a dangerous and difficult place for the sake of the gospel Shouldn't I have more ambition than a slave trader? Shouldn't I have more reasons to go places for the sake of the gospel than a slave trader has for the sake of awful uses of power and demon type of thinking and, and money? And shouldn't I have more desire? Shouldn't the gospel compel me to go places that money and power compels people in the world to go? Isn't the gospel more than enough? Can it not carry me to a dangerous place where a drug dealer is willing to stay for the sake of making some money? But the gospel is not sufficient to carry me into that dark place? Isn't it? This is what he is saying to us now. And the question for us ought to be, where is the world making inroads for the sake of other things that the gospel needs to make inroads for the sake of Jesus? Cannot the love of Jesus carry you to your neighbor's house? Cannot the love of Jesus carry you into dangerous and dark places in other places of the world or in the city? Cannot the love of Jesus carry you into an awkward conversation? Cannot the love of Jesus carry you into a season of sacrifice and faith and trust? Cannot the love of Jesus carry you and motivate you in ways that money and power and sex motivate the whole entire world to do things and to take risks? Is not the love of Jesus more compelling? for us to go live accordingly and to take risks. This is the thought I want to leave you with today. So let's pray and let's dream it and let's do it. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for the work of the gospel. Thank you for the fact that this is a worthy work. Thank you that you really did die for our sins, that you really did rise from the dead, that there really is salvation in your name, that there really is power from on high through the Holy Spirit to save and to change and to restore, that you really do want to use our lives to make a difference, that you really do have amazing plans for each and every single one of us, that you really have placed dreams and passions and ambitions and burdens in us for a reason, that you really have given us certain skills for a reason. Lord, I pray, I pray, I pray that you would just release, Lord, through stretching us a time of great work and harvesting for the gospel. I pray that you would overcome all of our fears. I pray that you would give us great confidence in your name. I pray that you give us great desire to live for you. I pray that you would give us great willingness to be stretched. And I pray that you would use us, Lord, mightily for your kingdom, for your glory, to push back the darkness and to bring more light. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand up and let's worship and respond to the Lord.